Let's pray together first. God, you have done an amazing thing to call us weak, broken, abused, hurting people together as your children. I pray today, God, that you would help us through this word to see Jesus and make us more like him. The one who, though he was God in heaven, seated on high, he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, became like one of us, and he would bring us up into his glorious privilege along with him. God, help us to see Jesus and delight in him and satisfy our souls in him. Amen. Earlier this year, in January, February, former doctor of the United States gymnastics team and physician at Michigan State University was sentenced to hundreds of years in prison for abusing over 250 girls and young women who were under his care. Dating way back to 1992, young gymnasts would come to him with sports injuries. And when he got them in his own room, he used his power over them to take advantage of them for his own gain at their expense. Hundreds of young girls thrust into shame and despair. A man who was supposed to be their healer and protector heaped upon them more fear and more pain. And then these little girls grow up to be women carrying this hidden burden with them closing up their own hearts in fear that they will be exposed or maybe used again. They're left weak and vulnerable for the rest of their lives, walking with a limp, permanently broken, feeling like they're at a disadvantage to everybody in this world who seems to walk just fine. They're so happy, and yet they bear this hidden shame, feeling like they're outcasts of society. Sadly, this kind of abuse of authority happens all over our world in varying degrees. We live in a world where powerful people get more power by abusing the weak. Young women are taken advantage of by people who are supposed to be taking care of them. The sick and poor are used as political pawns. And the regular, normal person is often ignored and forgotten the unknown in flyover country that has no impact on this world. But we'll see from our text today that the ruler of heaven and earth, the king of kings and lord of lords, who holds all power and authority in himself, is much different. Jesus uses his advantage for the good of the disadvantaged. He uses his authority for the benefit of his people. He comes down from his place on high in order to be the savior of the lonely. So let's read in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, how this man with such remarkable authority 
is no one to fear, but one who comes down to serve us and bring us up with him. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I seen such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion he said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you can see Jesus coming down after we spent time in the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down from the mountain and immediately there's these three healing situations. And it seems like at a basic level, he's teaching us to put, our, put actions to our words as he did. Jesus taught about love on the Sermon on the Mount. What the law is all about, how it's meant to love people, and he comes down from the mountain and puts that love in action. And that's the simple truth of what's happening here, but the way he tells the story, Matthew tells the story, is so much more beautiful in how he unfolds it. So much better than a simple command to go and do likewise. So how does he does it? Where have we come from? We've spent weeks in this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus expounds on the law with power and authority. He exposes hypocrisy. He reveals his own authority. He tells people what, that the law is meant for love, and he warns them of the serious consequences of hearing his words and not putting them into action. And by the end of it, people are in awe 
their mouths agape, picking their jaws up off the floor, saying, who is this guy? Chapter 7, verse 29 says, he talked as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He taught as though he didn't simply know the law, but as though he was the one giving the law. Jesus displays this incredible authority as king through his teaching as though he is the lawgiver, thundering decrees down from the mountaintop, or the judge high upon his bench, issuing his judgments. And then we see this transition in the very first verse in chapter 8. He came down from the mountain. The judge takes off his robe, steps down from his bench, and walks among the disadvantaged, the people who have experienced injustice, the ones who feel like they are the outcasts of society. He goes right to those who are the most vulnerable and puts his words of love into action. And here we see the main point that we'll be thinking of as we go through this text. Jesus puts his love into action by coming down from his glorious place of privilege and advantage to lift up the disadvantaged with him. Jesus puts his love in action by coming down from his own advantage to lift up the disadvantaged. So we'll look at that in the three scenes that Matthew unfolds for us here. There's three disadvantages that he lays out for us to see that Jesus enters into. The first of the unclean, the leper, who was an outcast from society. The Gentile, who was seen as dirty and an invader. And third, an unknown person. There were serious social disadvantages in each of these cases, but Jesus used his authority to lift them up out of it alongside of himself. So first, let's look at that first disadvantage in verses one through four. I'll read those four verses again. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, say that you say, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So to have a spot show up on your arm, a new mole, something like that would be about the worst thing that could happen to you in ancient Israelite culture. I imagined what would happen if some mud splashed up on my arm unknowingly and dried there and kind of cracked a little bit and someone pointed it out. Because the Old Testament law back in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, the law prescribed that if there was a new spot that showed up on your skin, you had to immediately find a priest and go through this rigorous inspection process to find out if it was growing on you because it might be contagious to everybody else. And if he found it was contagious, you were cast out of society, kicked out of the camp, thrown outside the walls of the city to wander around the wilderness by yourself, scrounging for food, just trying to stay alive, alone. If by some miracle, while you were outside the city, in the wilderness, you somehow got healed, you couldn't just wander back into, into town and say, it's okay, guys, I'm good. 
You go straight to a priest and say, help me, I think I've been healed. And he would put you back through the same rigorous inspection process. And then if he proclaimed you clean, you would offer sacrifices as a symbolic entrance back into God's presence and into society. But until then, you wandered alone by yourself outside the city. If anyone came near you, you would have to yell out to them and warn to them, unclean, unclean, cover your mouth. So they wouldn't come near you and you would infect them. So with that law in mind, and that fear, that, that great despair that someone is feeling, being left outside of society, see here in verse 2 how the lepers incredibly bold. Great crowds are following Jesus and he pushes his way to the front where Jesus is and kneels down before him, defying every rule, every law of Israel in desperation to be clean. He knows the law. He knows what he's doing. But as he looks at Jesus and hears Jesus from afar, he knows there is someone here who has authority over the law even. And perhaps he can be merciful to me. So he comes and kneels down before Jesus. The word kneel down means to bow down. It's often translated worship. It literally means to just get as low as you can before someone else and surrender to them and say, you have authority over me. Do whatever you want with me. And Jesus, who clearly knows the law, he just taught on it from the mountain. He doesn't tell everyone, okay, guys, back up, back up. You're going to get infected. He does something astounding. He touches him. He reaches out his hand and everyone gasps. <gasps> and he touches him. The law said that Jesus will be made unclean if he touches him. Jesus knows this and yet he came to start a new phase in redemptive history. In Christ, the kingdom is being turned inside out. Jesus touched him and said, be clean, and immediately he was cleansed. The one who teaches with authority, instead of becoming unclean himself, he makes the unclean man clean. What is going on here? This is a vital point that we need to see in this new age of salvation that we are in, to see how God deals with us and how he then sends us into the world as his representatives. Leprosy was symbolic of sin. It wasn't just a disease that was very dangerous. It symbolized sin. Sure, somebody getting leprosy might end up, you want to kick them out of the city because at that time they didn't have ways to treat them. And you didn't want that one disease infecting the whole city and wiping out the entire population. So it was a drastic measure to be taken. But even more than that, it was a symbol of how sin has infected the whole world. One man got leprosy, and we are all infected. The whole world is infected. And God wants none of that in his presence. If he sees a single spot of sin on any one of us, he will cast us outside the city forever. He will not have any of it in his kingdom. Just like Adam was kicked out of the garden, Everybody was kept out of the ark because of the sin of the world. 
in Israel, lepers are kept, kept out of the city. And he promises that no uncleanness will be in his kingdom. But in Christ, the sin, the curse of sin is reversed. No longer is sin contagious. Jesus comes down from the mountain, the most clean, pure, holy man who ever lived, and he touches the leper and in that moment reverses the course of history. Where Adam's sin infected everybody, Jesus' righteousness cleans everybody whom he touches. In Christ, we who are stained by sin are made holy, and now his holiness is contagious through us. He sends us out into the world without fear that we will become infected by others. We don't need to huddle together in our own little churches and build walls around ourselves, afraid that sin is going to infect us. We don't need to gather together in our own homeschool communities to keep all those public school centers away from us. Quite the opposite. He sends us into the world to spread His holiness. We are sent to the outcasts to give them hope, to offer them restoration to the kingdom of God. What a privilege we have. We are called to be witnesses. Verse 4, Jesus says to him, go and to the priest and offer the sacrifice as a proof to them. That word proof is the same word we often translate witness or testimony. Go testify that the world is changing, that the kingdom is being turned inside out, that Jesus is undoing the curse of sin for those who feel like they are useless, abused, outcasts of society. He is welcoming them into a place of privilege. What honor, what privilege, what power he shows to those who feel weak and sick. But his heart isn't simply for those who are sick and weak and poor among us. He cares for the foreigner in our land. We can see in verses 5 through 13. I'll just read 5 through 8 to shorten it up for a little bit. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. So the leper had it really bad in society or outside of society. But the Gentile didn't have it much better. Both were considered unclean according to that day's interpretations of the law. But at least the Gentile, a non-Jewish person, could go into the city and talk to people and walk, come within walking distance of others. But it still wasn't much of a great advantage. Nobody wanted to do business with Gentiles. They were hated by the Jews. They couldn't stand that Romans occupied their city. And the only reason they put up with them was because the Roman army was so incredibly powerful that if they put up much of a stink about it, the Romans would just crush them. So they had to deal with it, but they couldn't stand it. The Gentiles had been a thorn in Israel's side ever since they entered the promised land. 
They couldn't stand that other people worshipped different ways. They said, if you want to be in our land, you need to worship our God and follow our customs and follow his commands. If you don't, you don't belong in our country. And so we see this great disadvantage the centurion had as a Gentile. He was just this dirty, stinking Gentile who was the object of gossip, cold shoulders, closed businesses. You could probably hear people whispering to one another in the streets, why doesn't he just go back to his own country? If he's going to stay here, at least he should learn to speak Hebrew. But this Gentile, like the leper, shows boldness approaching Jesus. Jews had no time for the Romans. The Romans were merciless towards them, so why should we be merciful to those Gentiles, they thought. And this centurion, a Roman official, a leader of soldiers, comes to Jesus and calls him Lord, admitting that Jesus has even authority over him. And he appeals to Jesus, would you... Heal my servant who's back at home. And Jesus' response is sort of a question. You can't see that in most English translations, but there's a little nuance here that suggests that Jesus is kind of saying, you want me, a Jew, to come into your Gentile house? You know how offensive that would be to everybody who's around me, right? Jesus isn't really offended. He's just pushing back to really help everyone understand the gravity of this situation. But the centurion just keeps pressing in, showing incredible faith. He says, I know, Jesus, but you are so powerful. You have so much authority over everything. I don't even need you to come to my house. You could just say it and it will be done. And he uses this comparison of his own authority. He says, I'm I'm a leader of soldiers. I tell people, go and come. And immediately they do it. I tell my servants, go do this. And without question, they go. He's saying, I know that you, Jesus, have all authority over everything. You tell the sun to rise, and it does. You tell the tides to come in and out. You tell the birds to chirp, and they do it. I know that you can just say, be healed, and my servant will be healed. You have authority over all of creation. And Jesus smiles. He's delighted to respond. Finally, someone is paying attention to his words, he says. He displayed this incredible authority on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. And he warned people what will happen if you just hear these words and go on like it has no consequence in your life. And he comes down from the mountain. And who is one of the first people to respond to his Jewish kingdom call, but a Gentile, a Gentile. Jesus is astounded. It says he marveled. This Gentile has more faith in the one true God than anybody else in all of Israel. The Jewish people are going, what? Are you kidding me? What is going on here? Jesus comes down and touches a leper and gives mercy to a Roman? And Jesus explains in verses 11 and 12 that he is here to turn their understanding of the kingdom inside out. Those who think they're in the kingdom because they're born sons of the kingdom, just because they're born here, 
they will be thrown out. And he will find new people to come in who are much more faithful. He'll gather them from east and west. And he'll welcome them not just into the city, but to dine at his table in his eternal kingdom. Jesus doesn't just use his authority to keep people out, but to welcome them in. He welcomes everybody in who will just surrender to his authority to get down low and call him Lord. And then he will pick you up and put you alongside of him in his glorious place of privilege. Is that the heart that we have towards people who are different from us? The foreigner among us? The one who doesn't talk like us or do things like us? One day we are going to share a table in heaven with some of them. It ought to be our goal to get out into the world and invite as many of them to that table with us as possible. We can sympathize with them because that's what Jesus did for us. He came down from the mountain and lifted us Gentiles up with him in a place of privilege in his Jewish kingdom. So with this spectacular scene, we see Jesus continuing to turn his under, everyone's understanding of the kingdom inside out. He touched a leper. He gave mercy to a Roman soldier. And now he continues in verses 14 and 15, not with a spectacular display, but with something rather ordinary. Instead of going and appealing to the rich and famous, he goes to a nobody. In verses 14 and 15, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. In comparison to these great spectacles of healing the leper and the centurion's servant, this seems like a rather boring, mundane, ordinary circumstance. Why would Jesus take time to come down from the mountain to go to this ordinary person's house? They're just two simple verses. You could leave those out of your story, Matthew, and it would still have the same effect, wouldn't it? There's nothing spectacular here. He's not going and appealing to the rich and famous. Hey, want to join my kingdom? He goes into nobody's house. And I think that is the point. Being a woman in that patriarchal society was its own great disadvantage. Inheritance rights were passed on through your son. So if your husband died, everything that he owned would go to his son. And if you were a woman and didn't have a husband or a son, you might be destined for poverty. And that may be Peter's mother-in-law. We're not told of her own son or her husband, but Peter, her son-in-law's house she lives in. Women in the first century weren't even allowed to go to the temple court and worship with other people. Even more than that, Peter's mother-in-law was nobody. We don't even know her name. He says it's Peter's mother-in-law. She likely lived in a modest house, little cube-looking thing made out of brick and dirt, just like everyone else in the neighborhood. She probably spent every single day of her life getting up and taking care of that home and the people who were in it just like everyone else in the neighborhood. Who is she that the king of Israel would come down from the mountain into her home? But Jesus loved her. 
Again, like the leper, he touched her. He showed care and compassion for her. He cared for her and her illness. The King of King and Lords of Lord, Lord of Lords came down from the mountain into her home. Everywhere it went, Jesus seemed to elevate the value of women. Women were allowed to journey with him and learn from him, where most rabbis only wanted men to come along and learn. Women received great praise for their faith from Jesus. Women were a vital part of his ministry. Women were the ones who stayed with him to his last dying breath on the cross, and they were given the great honor of being the first to witness his resurrection. And we saw in Matthew chapter 1 that women, abused, broken, ordinary women, get a special place in the lineage, the most important ancestry in the history of the world. This should be an encouragement, not just to women, but to all of us. No matter what your lot in life, no matter what mundane task Jesus has called you to, he loves you. He makes it valuable because he is present there with you. There is no flyover country in Jesus' kingdom. He loves every single one of his people. That doesn't mean he just comes in and inverts every societal structure and creation order. So he didn't tell the Gentile, yep, I'm coming to your house. He didn't tell the leper, just go about things. I've abolished the law. He came to fulfill the law. He sent them, the leper, to the priest. And notice what this woman does when she's healed. She gets up and gets to work in her home. She just goes back to work. She makes some food and serves Jesus. She embraces the circumstances she finds herself in and finds herself blessed because the king is with her in those ordinary circumstances. So wherever God has placed you, whatever mundane, boring task you find yourself doing every single day, it is holy, it is blessed, valuable work. The role you are called to is valuable to Jesus because he is there with you. This is such encouraging news for all of us. Every one of us ordinary people who live in a small town in the center, cold, barren wasteland in the middle of the United States in an unimportant moment in history. Jesus loves us when we surrender to him. And we see in verse 16 that all kinds of unknown people came and were healed. We don't know any of their names, but think about what it's going to be like to dine at the table in heaven with them. They're going to say, I was, in, I was there in the Bible. You didn't see my name, but I was there. Jesus came down from the mountain and he healed me. What a wonderful privilege that will be to hear their story. But we need to be careful not to simply stop and see Jesus on the mountain as a great wise teacher and then come down from the mountain as a great compassionate healer. He's more than that. And verse 17 grounds us in that so we understand him correctly. Matthew writes, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So Matthew says, 600 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah predicted that he was going to be a great healer. But interestingly, Peter and Paul used the same prophecy not to speak of Jesus' healing ministry, but to speak of his death on the cross. They say that prophecy predicted Jesus' death for our sins. He bore our iniquities and our sins, not our illnesses and diseases. So are one of these two guys 
misinterpreting the Bible? What's going on? But these truths fit together so beautifully as a reminder of the holistic nature of our salvation. Jesus didn't just come and die for our sins and then release us to live in a cursed world forever. He defeated the power of sin over our lives on the cross and He rose from the grave and said, now there is going to be new life for all eternity. I am changing the course of history so that those who trust in Me, their sins will be wiped out. There will be no more condemnation. And one day, their bodies, their souls, their minds, all of creation will be made whole. That's what Matthew was expecting as a Jew. The Messiah to come in and recreate the Garden of Eden for everybody in Israel. Salvation is a whole humanity experience that saves us, yes, from the condemnation from sin, but also puts us in a position of privilege that we are guaranteed safety and comfort and joy forever with Him. If you haven't received the salvation today, I urge you, to surrender your life. Don't just hear this and believe in Jesus, but like the leper and like the centurion, to bow down before him and call him Lord. You can have me. You can show mercy on me or not, but I, you have the power to heal me. And then he lifts us up. If you're feeling beat up by the world like an outcast in society or abused by those in power, he picks you up out of that and gives you his protection and lifts you into the loving arms of God. And then he asks you to join us in a wonderful work of continuing that in the society that he has placed us in. When he bore our sins on the cross, he lifts us up out of our own disadvantage and places us in a position of advantage and then tells us, to use that privilege to help others who don't have the privilege. We all have some privilege in our life. It doesn't make any sense for us to feel guilty about it or to be ashamed for it or get defensive about it, but it's a gift from God to send us back into the world and use the privilege for those who are disadvantaged. This is a difficult calling. It's not a pleasurable pr privilege all the time. The life of love is hard. It led Jesus to the cross. Coming down from the mountain got him killed, and he says it might cost us our lives, our own comfort. But that's the life of faith, the life of one who hears Jesus' words and does them. So we who are in Christ aren't just called to go into the world, but compelled, compelled because the God of the universe dwells in us to come down from our place of privilege and serve the disadvantaged as he did for us. And we can be confident, brothers and sisters, that sin will no longer stain us. Sin can't affect us anymore. We have the power of the Most High with us, and he will guide us through that. God, I pray that Redemption City Church will be that kind of people that use everything God has given us to take it into the world and display what a joy it is that the King of Kings emptied himself on our behalf and shared his privilege with us so we could have everlasting joy with him. Let's pray. God, what an honor.
What an honor. We should be so humbled. The most humble of people. How foolish would it be for that leper to turn around and go back out into the wilderness and start looking down upon other lepers? How horrible, wretched would it be for that Gentile to start turning around and mocking other Gentiles for their dirtiness, for their lostness? How foolish would it be for us nobodies to go around and start acting like we are somebody without Christ, God. In Christ, we are beloved sons. In Christ, we are made a a kingdom of priests. In Christ, we have access to the throne room of God. In Christ, we have the Spirit dwelling in us. Make us humble, God, to send us into the world and love those who don't have this privilege yet. Invite them in to be among us. Humble us, God, and lift our eyes to worship to see your healing hand, your smiling face over us, welcoming us into your presence. Thank you, God, that in Christ that is our joy forever. Amen.